This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance best taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. We are uh, a week away from Christmas, and there is nothing I enjoy more on Christmas Day as a 28-year-old than watching basketball all day. And uh, before we get there, though, we have to talk about some other basketball stuff that's going on right now, because guess what, Dan? The uh, one through eight in the Eastern Conference already settled. I was looking this morning, and I was like, you know what? Every team that's in the playoffs at the playoffs started day in the Eastern Conference would be like, that's how I think it ends. Like, this is already wrapped up. We can actually sim through the rest of the Eastern Conference regular season. I tend to agree with you, but I'm really hoping that the Hornets can fall ass backwards into the eighth seed. I just think that would be really comical. You would want them in over the, uh, the Magic. No one, anyone who's going up against the Bucks is going to lose in four or five anyway. And so might as well, what a good story would be. I don't want to empower the way that the Hornets got rid of Kemba Walker, but what a great, you know, cap on Devontae Graham's season uh, and PJ Washington when his healthy as rookie campaign than if the Hornets just kind of stumble into the playoff picture the year after Kemba leaves. I do feel vindicated in my uh, offseason take that the Hornets, there is zero chance they were going to be the worst team in basketball this year. 
you feel good or bad I about feel that good because i was just arguing with people where they're like no they're gonna be atrocious and i was like no i still think like the worst. i mean no one had the warriors the worst team in basketball this year like injuries obviously were the main reason for that but um i just i didn't see it with the hornets because they just had too many older guys they had too many competent nba players where it was just it, they're just too old like really older teams just can't be god awful it's really hard like look at the hawks and the reason that they're struggling so much is that they're playing a bunch of young wings and they signed really awful veterans like evan turner and they're playing alex lynn too much and they're just vince carter still sucks like he's fun but like he's still a bad rotational player like it's just that's how you lose a lot of games in the nba is play a lot of young guys and a lot of bad veterans the hornets have a lot of average veterans and then some pretty interesting young guys like you said in pj washington Devonte graham and guys like that so they were I just I never saw it with them. And then I was like, what happened with the Warriors this year is what I forecasted with the Wizards in that, oh, if Bradley Beal gets hurt or misses like 30 games, they're the worst team in basketball and it's not even close. Like it's not even close. And Bradley Beal has been healthy enough, but I still reserve the right uh, to believe that the Wizards are going to end up with the worst record in the Eastern Conference, which I predicted before the year, because I think Beal will get shut down or something's going to eventually happen there. I don't want it to. But that roster outside of Beals and shout out to Davis Bertans, uh, the legendary year that he's putting together. And uh, also Washington. shout out to Marcus Morris, who's the reason that they have Davis Bertans. <laughs> Marcus Morris and what's going on in New York this year? Just really uh, weird. And like the Knicks won a first round pick for Marcus Morris. Like what year are we in right now? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think the the Hornets are going to be fine. I I would rather see the Magic in the playoffs just because I think the interesting dynamic between the magic and the bucks in round one in that john hammond came from the bucks and has been trying to replicate milwaukee 2.0 in orlando and we would get to see jonathan isaac try and defend Giannis. we would get to see just a very like it would be a sweep but it'd be a very uncomfortable annoying ass sweep i could see that and they'd definitely be more competitive i think that or maybe i shouldn't even say that because i'm like super low on the magic i just don't believe in their offense at all and so unless they're going to do something at the trade deadline that can improve their spacing or give them a qualified primary scorer on the perimeter which markel fultz pleasantly surprising this year i think he's been but bad like he's still he's, bad and he's not good off. but I, like, he's not they... sixers level terrible no he's just not good. like i see the stuff where like you see the little clips where he had that awesome john wall type move the other night where he's like the spin move and just like how quick and fluid he is in that dunk. But what people don't see is the rest of the stuff. It's like, he's still shooting like 20% from three. He's still not getting to the line enough. He's still not doing anything on the defensive side. Like he's, he's still a net negative in a huge way. And he's also just not better than DJ Augustine. Like, I don't understand why they, they took Augustine out of the starting lineup for him. That still makes no well, sense to me. Well, I think you have to almost, for me, at least I look at it as like, this is kind of like his first real basketball season, like when he's been playing basically from the jump and he's hitting better than 50% of his twos. I think his playmaking has been all right. I, I think you might've undersold his defense a little bit. And I've been impressed with kind of his finishing around the rim and willingness to take, uh, they're not great two point looks, but he's hitting a pretty good percentage of his mid range twos. Open. And so, yeah, well, they're open, but if he's going to take them and, and make some of that are or make a chunk of them i think that's encouraging just based off where he was and and then what they got him for that was like basically that first round pick in a song um and, and that first round pick isn't really going to be anything i think it's that thunder pick that might not even be a first round pick they've all blended together at this point so i like the investment but they're not 
he's not it, it, irregardless he's not a primary scorer like that Aaron Gordon was never going to be that guy even though they've tried to groom him as that maybe you have Evan Fournier but when Shooting he's your percent from three yeah but when he when he's your offensive focal point on the perimeter defenses are going to be able to easily guard you mm-hmm. and then Vooch is dropped off when he, when he was healthy he dropped off from last year which I think everyone expected and then he Marcus all just took his lunch money and ran away in the first round last year. So I don't know that it'd be maybe be a little bit easier because Brooke Lopez isn't Marcus all in the first round, but I don't, I'd rather see, I'd honestly rather see the Hornets or even the Pistons again, have to go up against the Bucks this year. Maybe not the Pistons. That was a low blow. Probably not the Pistons. Well, we get like one crazy Derrick Rose game in that series. Probably. Yeah, that's true. And then I'd have to deal with all the rosebuds in my mentions after that who are looking for apologies from stuff that I wrote in like 2013 or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, Derek Rose. Yeah, the, he's doing – he has like the second – he might have the highest usage on the Pistons right now. I was looking the other day. He has a crazy usage rate in Detroit. And um, I don't know. He's going to be around a long time. And he has already talked about wanting to be around as long as like Kobe and keep it going. So he's just going to be a six man forever. Um, he does have the highest usage rate on the Pistons see, among their yeah, yeah, rotation players. That's insane. That, that Blake Griffin's injury definitely, definitely helped that, but I'm I'm actually shocked to see it's that high. I didn't even realize his assist rate was that high either. Yeah, it's little things, uh, Dan, that I just I jot down and I'm like, huh, that's weird. Because if you watch the Pistons, you're like, they do a lot of stuff for Derrick Rose. And then you look <laughs> and you're like, oh, his usage rate is like a superstar usage rate. This is not good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, the bottom of the East is, you know what's weird though? Is like the lower half of the Eastern Conference playoff picture is still better, I think, than the bottom half of the Western Conference playoff picture. The, the bottom half, you think? Yeah. The Kings are I, I don't know. I mean, teams like, the, the Kings are, are terrible. The wow. Are Those are strong words. I, 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 I think the Timberwolves were probably more flash in the pan to start the season. I'd agree there. I think the Kings... Once they start putting momentum together with Fox and uh, Bagley, now that they're both back in the lineup, they'll be better. Uh, the Spurs and the Blazers, they I'm not saying these teams are good, but I would think that these teams are eminently more scarier than the Pistons or the Magic. Mm. So I, I would say the West is brutal in that sense where I feel like it's tougher. The records are kind of just as poor right now if not worse when you're looking at the bottom but they'll be tougher outs on those bottom seeds at least when you're looking at the eight seed and probably the seven seed the way that oklahoma city's playing that'll change if they trade chris paul and or daniel gallinari but if i'm the clippers i don't want to face the thunder in round one why who cares you're sweeping them anyway with chris paul if if they're they're still together i don't think it's a sweep oh yeah i don't think it's oh 100 percent Sweep. Done. I think that becomes like an unnecessary six game series. Oh, no way. The Thunder. And that's not what you want to deal with in the first round. If Paul George and like, I think they're undefeated when Paul George, Kawhi and Lou score at least 15 points in a game. Like they're also undefeated when Kawhi and PG 13 score 40 points each. But I mean, that's that's more historical than not. <laughs> I just I'm not worried about any of the Winks trying to defend Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard in a seven game series. Pat Bev will be I... on Chris Paul like there's. There's nothing about the Thunder that matches up well against the Clippers. I think you'd be surprised. You're all in on the Thunder. I was not expecting this. I'm not all in, but if they stay together, I wouldn't want to face them in round one of the playoffs. I don't think they'd win 
a playoff series unless they maybe continue to inch their way up the standings. I mean, the Jazz have been pretty bad, but the Thunder are still like three and a half games behind them. I just, if I'm the Lakers or the Clippers or the Mavericks, whoever's going to end up playing them in the first round, that's not a series I want to have to go through because I feel like it would be, I think the Lakers would probably handle them a little bit easier than the Clippers. And, but the other teams, I feel like it becomes this unnecessary. We just went through six games for no reason series that you have to deal with and then go through the, the later two rounds in the West that could include matchups with, again, the Lakers or the Clippers, depending on what team you are and, and some of these other squads like the Rockets and Nuggets. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not there. I feel like any of the Western Coast teams that be a pain in the ass would be the Grizz, which is crazy to think about. But like, I would not want John Morant and Jaron Jackson in a seven game series right now. I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that no, because not, they're they're playing really, they're playing better. They're like they're a good team, and John Morant is a dude. Jaron Jackson a 43 point explosion the other night. Like Brandon Clark, really really good. The fact that he didn't go top ten is crazy. Like that's just a really good nucleus that's just trending up, and I think. If there was like an eight seed that of any of the Western Conference, not terrible teams who I would not want to play just because they would just be so feisty and have a lot of good young players and would really push some of their guys, it'd be the Grizzlies. I really think the Grizzlies would push them. They, they've they been a lot better since John Morant returned to the lineup and having Jared Jackson Jr. with his offensive awakening, he started the season just kind of sluggish, but he's been on an absolute tear lately and it just looks like he's a lot more aggressive so they're they're a team that you definitely want to play in their defense overall is better than i expected i know that they have some talent there but i kind of thought just based off how young that they were that maybe we would see a team that was close to the bottom five but they're you know standing strong in quotes i think at 20th in defensive efficiency last time i checked so they're they're frisky they're a team i don't think you want to face in a singular game but they i wouldn't put them on the level of a, of a thunder team even a king's team if you had to go through an entire series against them hmm that's fair. I don't know. I'm very high on the Grizzlies, as you can tell. I think they're just... well. You better hope that John Morant learns how to land after his dunks. Then, otherwise, that's going to become an issue. I don't. I don't know. He seems like someone who's just not really. I don't know. We'll we'll see. He'll he'll figure it out. I'm not worried about John Morant or anybody in the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have a very bright future, and I think they're going to be back in the playoffs sooner than most people realize. Um, a team that will not be back in the playoffs sooner than people realize. Um, the preseason darling Pelicans. They've lost a billion straight. They lost last night to the Nets. Um, it was not a good game. Dimwitty's downhill style I very much enjoy. And um, Brandon Ingram got locked down by Torian Prince. And they just force-fed him into Jared Allen inside over and over again. And Brandon Ingram couldn't do anything with that. Um, they're bad. And I thought they were going to be bad before the season. I didn't think they'd be this bad. But my biggest concern was this was going to be a terrible half-court team. Like, this was a team that had to run a bunch to win and needed a lot out of some very young players in Zion and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and Jackson Hayes and all these different dudes. They're they're atrocious. And that's I, I don't know. I don't think they can fix it. And it's interesting to see who they're counting as untouchable. It's Ingram and Zion, which I understand, but JJ is being like kind of kept away and they're trying to make sure that he breaks his playoff streak, apparently. Like, they're really adamant that JJ's playoff streak is ending this year in New Orleans because he signed with them and he knew what he was getting into. Um, Drew is available. I have a lot of thoughts on this team, but from your perspective, Dan, what is ailing the New Orleans Pelicans this year? 
Well, there's the injuries for one, but there, you know, maybe it'd be different if you had Zion, if Lonzo wasn't banged up for so long. I think the bigger problem, though, is, and you kind of touched upon this, is you were initially worried about them in the half court, and they're still on a great half court team, but they've been better than expected as Drew's gotten better and because Ingram is playing the way he has for much of this year. They haven't been out in transition as frequently, and how much of that do you attribute to the Lonzo Zion injuries? I don't really think it matters, but when you don't have enough shooting, you need to play probably even faster or at least look to get out and transition more frequently than they are. And there are just lineups. There was even against the Nets, there was a lineup. They didn't have any shooters on the court. It was basically, I think it was Lonzo, Drew, Jackson Hayes. I can't forget who else was on the court at that time, but they had five non-shooters or at least four non-shooters. And that's, that's a really big issue for them. JJ Redick is the safety valve, but what happens when he's injured or, or can't play or what happens when you just need more than him? And that's probably why he's, I found it interesting that they kind of view him as untouchable more so than Drew Holiday, but that might be one of the reasons why is because they need that floor spacing safety net that they they really haven't had from anybody else. I think if you look at just what these guys shoot from their career, the, the two players on this team who are shooting 36% or better from three for their career are Redick and Josh Hart. And I think Etwan Moore might be on there, but that's it. And so... That becomes a real issue. They need they need shooting. And um, M- Nicole Melli, after kind of a hottish start, he's kind of tamped down. Uh, Nikhil Walker-Alexander hasn't factored in as much. And when he's been on the court, he's had some nice flashes, but has just not looked like what we thought we saw in summer league and preseason. And a lot of that, I think, to a degree, is the spacing, is that these guys, you know, him, Lonzo Ball, uh, even Brandon Ingram, they just need more weapons around them so that it's not as clunky in the half court. And we definitely saw that at times in that game you referenced with the Nets. And I think it's going to be, I won't say an even bigger issue moving forward when Zion comes back since he doesn't really have a jumper, but it's going to be just as big of an issue. He's not like, he's not going to solve this. Maybe he gets them out in transition a little bit more frequently after missed shots, but that's about the extent of it. I think you're right about JJ there. I think they know that like this offense is already not very good and he's shooting uh, 45% from three this year. He has a 121 offensive rating. The only other person close in that roster right now to that is Jackson Hayes, who's been really good in 542 minutes in the floor this year. But they would have to play Etwan Moore a lot. And he's getting DMP CDs. They would have to um, bank on Josh Hart being able to play significantly more minutes. They would have to bank on Lonzo Ball being healthy. They would have to do a lot more things to make this all work. Um I still think you have to eventually trade JJ. Like if you can get more assets and if he like wants out and you, he, cause he can just help so many contenders. Like he's, he's gotta be a buck. Like that's, that's the thing. He's gotta go. There. You could absolutely get at least as a standalone one first round pick yeah. for, he's for JJ Redick. And it wouldn't shock me if you get either another or like a young player as part of the package. He's more attractive than Drew Holiday. Like Drew Holiday, he's 29. His peripherals aren't great this year. He's shooting 33% from three he's just he's not even I, I don't know i'm not i've never been a big drew holiday guy i think he's he's fine he's a good i like that he moved to being an off-ball player in the last couple of years in new orleans i think him not being a primary ball handler is good um but there aren't a lot of teams that just jump off the page is like yeah this would drew holiday would be a huge needle mover like do you see any teams around the nba landscape that right now that just really need to bring in Drew Holiday to save their season or to really get them to that next level in their tiers? Yeah, I think there's a few. Uh, if Minnesota had him, I think they'd be more of a playoff threat in the West. That's Miami, 
Miami would certainly be dangerous um, with him. Just their defense has felt it's regressed a little bit and it's felt even just fluky from the start to me, at least Uh, he helps a team like them. I think Denver, he would be spectacular on. Uh, There are other teams that they're like people suggested the magic. I like it, but also he doesn't cure their floor spacing woes, which is an issue. Uh, So I I think there are, I I think you're probably underselling him. I could see why you would believe that JJ Redick is just more valuable to a title contending race at the moment. Uh, But Drew Holiday makes so many of these teams. I mean, if you put him on the Bucks instead of Eric Bledsoe, think about how much better Milwaukee probably is. I think it's a great deal better because he can do more stuff offensively and that he's he is the better defender right now, even though Bledsoe is a heck of a defender. Hmm. I like the Heat the most of those options. I think they make the most sense and might be because Drew Holiday's in this weird situation where it's he might be attractive to a great deal of teams because he's under contract for two more years. And so maybe you see like a Minnesota, a team that's kind of in between go after him, but otherwise he's going to be most valuable to contenders. And when you just look at how wide open the championship race is, I think Miami, even though they've been good thus far, might be one of the the few teams in that tier. So willing to, to make that kind of shakeup at mid season. Do we really think it's that open? I don't think it's that open. I think there are only three teams that can win the title this year. <laughs> I think there's more than that just because maybe maybe it's less open in the West because you can't envision anybody. And this is coming from someone who picked the Nuggets to win the title this year. Did you uh, really? You can't, yeah. You can't envision anyone other than the Clippers or Lakers coming out of the West. But I, I think Milwaukee is incredible, has an airtight lock on the East. That being said, it wouldn't shock me if over the course of a seven-game series, just because of ways that their offense bogged down last year, if we saw – a team like the Sixers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Raptors, maybe even a fully healthy Pacers upset them. And so I, I, I view it as more wide open in that sense. The Clippers. I guess, but maybe I'm just still have, you know, PTSD from the Kevin Durant Warriors where I don't feel like anything is it, I, if you're going up against LeBron and AD or uh, PG and, and Kawhi, it feels a little bit less inevitable than it did when you were going up against the fully healthy Warriors. See, I think it's pretty. If those two, if those four are healthy, like I feel like it's pretty inevitable. It's it's one of the LA teams, and then maybe if Giannis wins the title this year, it's just one of the best single seasons of all time. And Giannis playing the five now is just incredible. And Tark's of uh, the Ringer had a really good piece on this movement and to him sliding down. And like, did you see he's added the Candace Parker move to his arsenal inside? Uh yes, I have seen that. It just what do you do with that? It just. I don't know how you guard this person. I, he's Giannis is insane. I still don't think they have enough to win the title, but Giannis is absolutely insane. It's been cool to see that Giannis' center is not only being gone to more, but it's finally working because when you look at the numbers from like the seasons past, he played center uh, like let's say a hundred, a few hundred possessions here and there, and then the the numbers were never good. But they, the, I checked. On, Wednesday, on Tuesday night, and they were just slaughtering people uh, when he was playing the five. And then I think people, everyone focuses on how he needs a jump shot. There is value alone in his willingness to take threes. I think he's up to over five attempts per game this year. And so that, if you're going to have someone taking them, it's sort of like the, the pre-sweet shooting Marcus Smart um, because he's been shooting mostly well the past two seasons. The fact that he was taking them it, it put some pressure on the defense and, and Giannis is kind of the same way. And he's most comfortable taking those off the dribble threes. And if he's going to shoot 32, 33% uh, 
on a lion's share of off the dribble threes, it does sort of bend defenses a, a little bit more than it would if he just wasn't taking them or if, or if they just had to leave him completely alone because he was only a catch and shoot threat. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I would like to see them do something. I think they need to replace the Brook Lopez spot. And I think that's why I was so interested in Giannis getting more time at the five. And it's also because he's getting bigger. Giannis, if you look at just how much weight and just how different he looks now than he did even just three years ago, it's night and day. Like his body is getting just, he's getting bigger and ready for the modern five. And like, he's a, he's bigger than a lot of fives today. Like he can, he can handle it. And at that point you're just like, what are we doing? Um, I don't know. I don't know really the buck stuff. I don't think Chris Paul is going to be moved. I think that's still the perfect spot for him is in Milwaukee, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And, um, I don't know. I think they're kind of stuck with what they have. And I think I would be very nervous about that Chris Middleton contract if I was Milwaukee because the injuries are starting. He's not playing all that particularly well this year. Um, Brogdon playing lights out in Indiana. Not great. Um, but they're getting a lot out of Archinato and like the some of the best two-man lineups in the NBA this year all feature Giannis and Player X. Um, the, the three best, um, I think, are of, of Milwaukee. Like in the top five, three of the top five two-man lineups um feature Giannis and Archinato Giannis and Bledsoe and I want to say Giannis and Matthews I want to say it's Wesley Matthews who's shooting the ball really well there um but they need more and they are their window is closing very quickly and they have to they have to get to the finals this year they have to ensure they get to the finals and they should be a little bit more anxious and then I wonder on your nugget stuff because i didn't have them in my notes but the fact that you have them in the finals and not only in the finals but winning before the season i'm curious do you think that they're gonna have to be a little bit more bold by midseason where they're like we're good we're 17 and 8 right now Jokic is still good even though they were the out of shape stuff jamal murray still playing really well malik beasley trade ship who's out of the rotation there monty morris great six man like him a lot you have all these different options but this is not enough to compete with the Lakers and the Clippers in a seven game series. They still need more like Gary Harris is still probably their best trade chip and I will never quit Gary Harris, but I, I don't know. I, do you think they have to get bold if they really want to challenge one of the two LA teams in the West? Oh, I do. It's not, I won't say I regret the pick because I'm not a big believer in that, especially when it's made in the preseason. But the fact that their offense has sort of been their biggest Jekyll and Hyde issue this year that's not something that's going to stand well in the playoffs. They're 22nd in half-court offensive efficiency this year, and they're just going to get swallowed whole against certain playoff defenses. Maybe they win the first round, but once you get into those later series, we have to start worrying about the L.A. teams, even the way that the Dallas Mavericks sometimes defend. Uh, that's going to become a real issue, and so I would be an advocate of them doing something slightly brash at the deadline, maybe trying to go after Drew Holiday. Uh, Kyle Lowry would be good for them if he becomes available. I don't know outside those two, though, if the types of players that they need would then be on the market because they really do need just someone else who's going to create in the half court but doesn't necessarily need to dominate the ball and won't compromise their defense. But Will Barton can't be like that only real face-up threat. Jamal Murray's still just banging that inconsistency drum this year, Jokic isn't that face-up guy, and, and he's struggled, just been so passive at, at certain points of the year. And I don't think I don't think they're bold enough to go for Chris Paul, and I think that there's a chance that might not be the best fit because he's always been too ball-dominant than not. But a Drew Holiday or, again, a Kyle Lowry, if he becomes available, that's something that could really 
swing things in their favor. I don't know if there's another trade target that you can name that. There's something I think could make a difference, like if you went on a smaller scale, but they, to me, would need to do, if they make a move, it needs to be splashy because, like you said, Gary Harris is their best trade chip, and you don't, you're not going to give him up just in any old sort of deal, and there's not going to be this like playmaking 3 and D wing. that because, you know Jimmy Butler's not going to ask for a trade out of Miami like a lot of people thought he might by midseason uh, because they thought the Heat weren't going to be that great. So they would need to go all in on, on like a Drew Holiday or Kyle Lowry-type trade for me to feel good about that championship pick I made in the beginning of October. What would you do about Michael Porter? I believe Woj said the team views him as untouchable. I wouldn't trade him for Kyle Lowry. I would trade him for Drew Holiday. And I also don't know mm. what your other what your other trade chips are because you gave up your first round pick this year. So any first round pick you're sending is in the kind of distant future. And yes, maybe Malik Beasley and Juan Hernan Gomez have some value, but they're both going to be in restricted free agency. And so their next team is going to have to pay them. And there's limited value in that, even if said team isn't going to have cap space this summer so that they'll see more value in his bird rights. And then you get into the game of what else do you sweeten it with besides Gary, Gary Harrison, a distant first plus filler because they have the plumbing contract. I don't know how attractive that is. And I would believe that Porter Jr. is the swing piece in any of those, a fringe star talk like, like Drew Holiday. Maybe they're trying to save him in case Bradley Beal becomes available over the summer. I don't know, but they haven't played him enough, even though he's starting to play more now for me to believe that they need to view him as untouchable. I was even looking at it more of like, okay, Will Barton's played so well for you this year, and you have Paul Millsap, you paid a lot for Jerry and Grant, you have Gary Harris, you have just all these different important rotational guys who are really good, but you can't just insert this young player. Like The Blazers are kind of running into a similar problem with Anthony Simons, right? Where he's shown flashes, he's good, but the team just falls apart when he's on the floor. Like they're, The numbers with him on the floor are just terrible. And it's not his fault, but it does seem to be something where it's like, can they afford to wait on this player to get to the level where he's good enough to play with all these veterans who are really good at basketball and need him to be really good now? Like, I just I don't know if there's enough time with the Nuggets with their window to get to the point where he can play with Jokic, Murray, Harris and Millsap or um, Jerry and Grant guys like that. Like, I, I don't know because Will Barton is just so important for you that I just, I don't know when the window is to get him in that lineup to get enough reps for it to be worthwhile and to really see what you have there. Yeah, that that's a fair point too. And I just, I think it, it does have to be the right deal because I think they kind of view him as this found cornerstone where he was a pr- potential number one overall pick that they were able to scoop up right at the end of the lottery and that might be their attachment to him there's only so often those opportunities come around hardly ever if ever and then they might just believe in their player development where guys can eventually get the bandwidth to break out like we saw with Monte Morris last year Malik Beasley last year and now Beasley's kind of faded from the rotation so that might be an argument against it but I I kind of understand where they're coming from because you don't want to clog up your your payroll with another expensive guy or, or make this impulsive all-in move. At the same time, now you started paying this team again. Just going back to previous summers, you know, you, re- you give Jokic the max, you sign Will Barton, you extend Gary Harris, you just gave Jamal Murray that max extension this past year. And so you're kind of obligated to think the way that, that you were just thinking. 
Would you do Gary Harris for J.J. Redick? No. I think Gary Harris is too important to what the Nuggets currently do defensively. And I do believe, I know that they've been good overall on the season, but if you saw him leave and vacate that starting lineup, I think we would see that second-ranked defense tumble too far for it to be a comfortable regression. The Spurs might be another match, too, with what they have. And this is a good segue into a team that is heading toward the rebuild. They're 10 and 16 right now. Um, Lonnie Walker starting to get play, which is good because I'm a big Lonnie Walker apologist. Um, they have big questions to answer. And I I don't know. Like A lot of their stuff depends on like how you feel about DeJounte Murray. How do you feel about Derek White? How do you feel about DeMar DeRozan? How do you feel about Lonnie Walker? Uh, how do you feel about Marcus Aldridge? I... I think this is going to be tough. I think this is going to be painful for San Antonio. I, I I don't know. What do you think? What do you think San Antonio has to do the rest of the season? I think they need to burn it down, but they're sort of, they're not as drastic of this situation, but they're kind of like the Pistons where what does tearing it down look like? Because what is the value of DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge on the open market? And I don't believe it's very high. There's really only... One, maybe two teams, I think, that you can justify taking a dice roll on DeMar DeRozan. The Magic are, of course, the one, and yet their spacing is just so tenuous, and that's probably putting it kindly. They might need a shooter in that deal to make it work. So, you know, Bellinelli hasn't been good this year, but you might need to include him or Bryn Forbes just to get anything of value back from them so that it also makes sense for them to bring in All-Star, who is uh, DeRozan, excuse me, who is an All-Star scorer, but his game, it demands that the rest of the offense kind of be tailored to that skill set. And so he needs to be surrounded by shooters. And there are teams that might be better fit for that, but they're not going to go to such great lengths to reconfigure their offense around DeMar DeRozan. And I think that's what's really tough about the situation the Spurs are in, is they may need to let this season play out, cross their fingers that he opts out of his contract and and maybe let him, let him walk. It's the same story with LaMarcus Aldridge, who has a year left on his deal. I don't think it's necessarily as dire, but who are the suitors for LaMarcus Aldridge, who basically needs to be a five now? Uh, he's an upgrade over what Portland's dealing with uh, without Yusuf Nurkic right now, even though Hassan White has been a little bit better than I expected. Beyond that, though, where is the LaMarcus Aldridge fit? People said Miami. I don't I don't no, agree with that. No. So it's where are you where are you sending him? And that's what makes it tough. They need to rebuild, but they're almost – Yeah, I guess they could, and uh, I believe it was – I can't remember which reporter it was, but they said keep an eye on the Hawks, who could be sneaky buyers. And so if the price is cheap on Aldridge, but what are the Hawks giving up for Aldridge? Like, are the Spurs, I don't think, are flipping him for Evan Turner. No. Uh, Chandler Parsons expiring. That's uh, To me, that would be, Evan Turner would be more valuable to the Spurs than, than Chandler Evan Parsons. Evan Turner is not valuable to anyone, because Evan Turner is really bad at basketball. I think Evan Turner can do some things defensively, and I think Chandler Parsons can't really play basketball anymore. Well, he's not because he's not in the rotation. He's just. Out. But I was trying to be a little bit kinder and saying he can't really play anymore. <laughs> They're both just. Not Look, he has a degenerative knee issue, yeah. I believe. So that's I just I know it's an expiring contract, but if you were flipping Aldridge for an expiring, it might just be you can have might as well be Reddish. one who could play. Who's the worst I mean, rotational I, player in basketball this year? If. If the Hawks offered Cam Reddish and whatever expiring, and I was the Spurs, I would take it. The, like the take Hawks the distressed asset because he's part of the Luca deal. Like they have to prove that 
they'd not make a huge... Like, that's part of it. Like, Cam Reddish was the other thing. Like, the other pick where it's like, yeah, Luke is better, but we got this other lottery guy in the deal. They need him to be good. Oh, 100%. And it's funny because Trey Young might end up being a top 20 player at some point or top 15. But this year. But Luka's just going to end up being a top five player and MVP candidate. And there's yes. there's a huge difference in that small gap. 100%. But Cam is... I don't know how much Hawks you've watched this year, but um, Cam Reddish is... Uh, Oh, he's he's one of the players who made me eat crow because I was convinced that he was going to be a good NBA player. So uh, I I have a lot of wrong takes They're They're fun to look back on. I it's just the Jeff Green stuff where it's like he has you look at him and some of the stuff that he does and you're like, this person should be great, but he doesn't know how to do anything. Well, he's just bad at everything he really is he's just bad at everything he doesn't shoot well he doesn't pass well he doesn't know what to do when he gets inside he dribbles kind of weird he should be learning as a primary ball handler because he can there it like if you really want to figure something out with him he has to be the primary ball handler uh at least in the second unit and they've tried that a lot it's still getting destroyed but you have to go down that road with him um I don't know. It's just, it's bad. He's atrocious and uh, Trey needs help. So we're going to see if that happens because Lloyd Pierce, uh, per, I think it was Woj today, or maybe Chris Haynes, there was someone who tweeted out today that he's not currently on the hot seat, but next week's a big, big indicator. And uh, I don't know. But what were they expecting from this team? I don't think it's his fault, but this is how it always starts. It always starts with the coach first, and then that will shield them for the rest of the season. Schlink is not getting any type of heat right now which is insane to me they had a terrible objectively terrible offseason jeff siegel and all the all the hawks guys were on this where it's like this rot like fans there's a disconnect where fans were like oh we're gonna push for the playoffs this year and blah blah blah. and all the hawks people were like oh no we're uh y'all are mistaken like this is a terrible team and like letting deadman walk and playing alex Lynn a lot of minutes and Signing Evan Turner to be your backup and losing Bazemore and losing like going with a lot of young guys on the wing and reddish Hunter and Herter has been hurt, but just like it's a really young team surrounded by bad veterans. And it's like, this is terrible. And they did some dumb trades. The Alan Crab stuff was stupid. Like there's just Travis links done a terrible job in the last six months. Like he just has like, you can say like the trade stuff, whatever, but like he's been bad, objectively bad. Yeah. Their off season was, kind of a crap show it was yes. curious in the moment and because they were they had all this cap space and then they they started giving it up very quickly cap when space you look anybody at anybody next year anybody that's why they're buyers the market this right year and then because they all of a sudden the alan crab trade happens yeah that that part was bizarre and then even the i didn't i obviously didn't think that they were going to be and maybe the hawks riders were ahead of me on this i didn't think they were going to be potentially the worst team in the league or the second worst team in the league but i never understood the the playoff expectations for them that seem to just be emanating out of Atlanta and then the way they went about their offseason Deadman has obviously been bad isn't even playing in Sacramento anymore but he was so important to what they did last season uh trading Bazemore for Evan Turner that I like that sort of proved to me that the Hawks weren't trying to make the playoffs because it felt like they did Bazemore a solid by saying hey go play for a team that might compete for a playoff spot because I don't know how you look at that roster and think Evan Turner is a better fit than Kent Bazemore, unless you were convinced that he was going to be your backup point guard. And then that was kind of the other thing. They just don't have backup playmakers on this roster. And it was, in retrospect, very poorly built, and it seemed to lack a vision. And anyone who thought that the Hawks were going to make this 
largest leap? Did they think that Kevin Herter was going to make a, a superstar jump? Did they maybe think a point to John Collins's absence? I know that's part of it, but you know, John, John Collins isn't going to make them this really awesome defensive team. They're 28th in defensive efficiency. He improved a lot towards the end of last year defensively, but when he comes back, you still have a lot of the same problems. Maybe your offense, which is bottom five right now, is better, but but how much better? And then you're still going to have the the same defensive defensive quandaries. Yeah, I um, it's not looking good, and I'm interested to see how they respond to this. Um, losing to the Knicks, but like getting down by 30 plus against the Knicks is never good. Um, RJ Barrett looks. They good, made though. Marcus Morris start talking about the Knicks making the playoffs, so the Hawks should feel terrible about themselves. Yeah, not great. Worst <laughs> offense, and they couldn't stop them. Um, I want to talk about the Kings, who are 12 and 15. They're going to be, I think, I feel pretty good. Like, if I had to guess on who gets those last two spots in the West, it's going to be the Kings and the Blazers. I think they go 7-8 there, and the Kings finally break the playoff streak. That would be my guess. Um, They're dead last in pace, and Luke Walton has been a pace guy. A lot of it has to do with Corey Joseph getting a lot of run, and Corey Joseph is not a pace guy. And he's going to fall back into his better spot, because I do like Corey Joseph. Um, But he's very different than De'Aaron Fox. Very, very different. And Aaron Fox is back, so their pace should pick up. And we saw what Luke Walton liked to do in L.A. a couple years ago where they led the league in pace, those first young teams with Ingram and Lonzo and all those guys. So I'm interested to see how the pace changes over the next couple weeks. But Buddy Heald is still really good. He has a high usage for this team. He's kept them afloat. He is great. Bojan, or Bogdan, excuse me. They, uh, They can't pay him. They've paid too many guys. They have too many guys they have to get ready to pay, Marvin Bagley being one of them. Do you trade Bogdan? He's shooting 40%. He's a great guy just to have in your rotation. He's a good six man. I don't know if he can be one of your closing five, but there are some people who really think he could be managed nobly, so maybe that's a possibility. I don't know. You have Marvin Bagley back in there. You have the Harry Giles thing, which is still kind of weird. You have Dwayne Dedman. You have all these different pieces, and while you're at it, Rashawn Holmes murdering teams with a 132 offensive rating on the floor with the Kings this year. He's been great. Um, he's going to have to fall back at some point because I don't think you can play Marvin Bagley and Rashawn Holmes on the court together very, very long. I just, I'm very fascinated by how Luke Walton makes all this work because this is a very weird roster that has a lot of weird financial questions. And I don't know. I, I are they finally going to break their playoff streak in your opinion? I, I, I honestly don't know the final two playoff spots. If the Thunder don't make a trade, I think they're going to get one of the final two playoff spots. I think Gallinari is for sure gone. Adams. Would be I could see them play. kind of brokering a sign and trade over the summer. Mm. That might be, and that's that way they can get a team. Since the free agency market is so bad, there's there are very few teams with cap space, and so many of the teams that Gal is going to want to sign for aren't going to have cap space. You might be able to get better value for him then. And then I kind of agree that the Blazers are going to make the playoffs, and I'm just not ready to give up on the Spurs until they blow it up. So I'm going to still say no, that the Kings' playoff streak doesn't end, and that would be a further incentive for them to really see what they could get for Bogdan. The caveat, though, is if you're going to get someone else, like you have to get a pick or someone who's under contract for a couple seasons for it to make sense. Otherwise, you're going to run into the same issue if you if you trade for an expensive player or someone who's up for a new deal shortly. You're just going to run into the same issues you have keeping him. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Like, what what do you think is their best five? 
If you had to guess their best five man lineup, they can run out if everybody's healthy. What do you think it is? Because like, guess what? It includes my guy who I've not mentioned, Bialika. It it probably is a, and I'm someone who's higher on Marvin Bagley, so him not being in it is kind of He's like, not in hurts mind. me a little bit. But it's probably a Bialita, Holmes, Bardanovich, Heald, Fox lineup that will not really compete defensively, but should be a fireball on offense. I would. Probably- Harrison Barnes could be in there too, I suppose. Uh, I don't think you can close with him over Bogdan. I guess you can go back and forth with those two. Yeah, I think you could certainly close with Harrison Barnes over uh, Bogdan if you wanted to. Barnes is just going to give you a little bit more defense. Uh, it would be it would be kind of very Kings to go out and get one of the expensive players on the market just because you have Bogdanovich who's has value himself, and then you start pairing him with uh, Trevor Reza, who's basically an expiring contract. You could bring back some some serious salary there. And I think that's why a lot of people have started to identify them as maybe potential Kevin Love suitors. I don't know that I'd be crazy about that fit there, but it would be very Kings to make kind of a move like that. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think there's just, they're, they're very fascinating. And I wonder if they move some guys because Trevor Reza is still in, we didn't even mention him and just, they have so many dudes there's just not enough rotation spots. And uh, I just think that there's going to be some unhappy campers in there as the season goes on, because there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable DMP CDs for that, for that team. Yeah, there's, I could definitely see it. Uh, a few of them can't really don't have the right to gripe just because of the money that they received, like Dwayne Dedman, even though functionally it's basically a two year contract. But uh, if you can, I don't, if Bogdan can get you off of Dedman's deal, that's something that you could look at too. I'm not saying you should then trade them for nothing, but if you can pair him with Deadman and then take back essentially whoever, uh, I think that's something. Like I don't know if that package gets you Gallinari from OKC, but that that would be some. That would just be the type of like making that type of move where you can get off Deadman's money for next year, and then you're ensuring you don't have to pay Bogdan, and then of course you have to pay Gallo. So that doesn't actually make sense but that that would be maybe a course of action to look at i know a lot of people have mentioned ariza but he basically comes off the books next year so you don't really have to worry about him as a long longer term issue that's true i don't know i'm very fascinated to see how that the western conference uh settles itself and you have ayton back in there um to wreck the the suns even more wait what was that i like you have just the suns they keep getting bad news like they're 11 and 16 they're they're falling off a cliff and then deandre ayton has to come back and ruin things even more for that team (laughs) i'm not a deandre ayton guy if you can tell he didn't look too bad in his first game back though he's fine is he better than aaron baines i don't think so uh he broke my heart when he he made it look like he was going to take a three in his first game back and and then he didn't and my heart broke a little bit do you know who i like now daniel tice i'm all in on yeah he's been good he's been good for the everyone who's saying that the celtics need to make a move for a splashy big one yes daniel tice has been good and even their center by committee in general i I think it's been fine and then two I, i feel like people don't understand that the celtics don't really have filler to trade because once you go now all of a sudden gordon hayward is playing really well for them they're not going to trade tatum they they can't even really trade brown after signing up to the extension uh they're so now they're not going to trade hayward do you really want to trade smart and why would you trade kemba those are your biggest salary anchors right there and so i don't know what move that they would feasibly be able to make and that's just a 
you know, just a footnote to the people who keep saying that they're going to go after Steven Adams. I just, they don't, Steven Adams is one overpaid, even though he's a good player. And two, I, I don't know where Boston's coming up with the salaries to make that deal work. You know, who should trade for Steven Adams. The Indiana Pacers keep getting bigger. Let's see if we can play Sabonis, Turner and Steven Adams together. If the Pacers are, that would be, I think that would be dumb. But you know I'm, I feel I'm assuming about kid. the Indiana Pacers, who were my preseason NBA Finals pick. Your preseason NBA Finals pick? Yep, they won four in a row. That- They're nineteen nine, all without Victor Oladipo. I thought the Brogdon stuff was brilliant. I think they are. They're really, really good, and they're really well coached. And once they get Oladipo back, look out, folks! Two seed in the East. Um. I guess I won't rule it out. I don't. I'd be shocked if they made it to the NBA Finals. They still kind of feel like they're a high-end wing short. But that's why of, you can trade Turner. Well, I think you you're gonna have to trade one of them, and I'm they're still not trade Sabonis. I think it's gonna be. Sabonis. I know I'm still in the Team Turner camp. That I think you. I'd rather keep him, but Sabonis has outplayed him and is infinitely harder to trade after signing his extension. So I don't know what you get back for Miles Turner. Though I'd just be curious to see. I'd love to see Miles Turner on the Pelicans. Uh, he works on the Hawks, but the Hawks don't really have – that's part of the – you laid it out before. Like all this equity that they have in these players, are any of them even good trade chips? Because you're not moving Trey Young. And so what 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 packages are you building at all? So even though I'd like Turner in Atlanta, I don't really see that clear fit there. Boston is, is nice, but then you run into the salary filler issue again unless you're going to do it in the summer and Jalen Brown's involved, which I think he's played too well for that to happen. Um I don't. Miles Turner and San Antonio would be great, but but who do they have to trade that would really interest the Pacers? There aren't. I feel like there aren't many win now teams that could use Miles Turner. I would call the Magic and see they love big long bigs and uh, be like, hey, we we need Aaron Gordon. It's time to let him go. It's time to get. They have Vooch and Bamba and Kem Birch though. What do they need Miles Turner for? I think they they will keep adding bigs, keep doing it. They would have to give up one of the bigs in the trade. I don't know who. Uh, I I guess it would be for salary purposes. If you're using Gordon, it would probably have to be Birch or Bamba. And I think they'd probably be okay with getting off the Bamba stuff because that's just been a disaster. Um, I don't know. They should really see if the Knicks are willing to do like Marcus Morris, Kevin Knox, and maybe like another young player or a pick for for Miles Turner. Really? I don't know. Well, yeah, Kevin Knox's value is at an all-time low. So... The Spurs are oh, well. Jakob Pertl is still really good for them. Because um, I was thinking, I was like, well, I guess you could. They need a versatile big for a change, though. Yeah, and Turner is that. A Washington would be sort of interesting, even though they just signed Thomas Bryant. But again, what are you? I'm trying to find like a win now team that would give up something for him. Portland would be cool if they didn't have Nurkic coming back, which they do. So that kind of rules them, rules them out. And then I'm just. The Pelicans would still be hyper interesting. I don't know what that package looks like. I don't think they'd be willing to give up Brandon Ingram in it, but you could build some stuff around. If they were thinking long, long term, and you were using, you know, Josh Hart and JJ Redick as the anchors of that deal, maybe that gets a little interesting. Yeah, I think the Pelicans would be. Well, eh, I just, I don't know. What is Zion? What is Zion's best position? Is he a five? Is he a five? I. It might just be like. Un, undefined for him but he I think small ball lineups with him at the five probably are your best course of deployment right now but I think with a big like Turner who has that range and doesn't really 
commandeer a ton of touches in general, that he would be that'd be a great fit. I don't know what the defensive rebounding then looks like between those two, but that that would be. I I would think a, a big like him, very similar to Miles Turner, is the perfect fit for. Uh, for uh, Zion Williamson. What if we got D'Angelo Russell in Indiana? What if he did that? Did something with Turner at the five? I actually I've thought about that, and I actually think that, that would make a great deal of sense for both teams. I don't know what else Indiana gives up in that scenario. I mean, just to make the money. T.J. Warren, who seems like definitely not a Warriors player. Well, I mean, I don't know. Sean Livingston lived in the mid range. Did mu- did not do a lot of else. I think uh, I don't think it's that crazy. I think they do absorb guys like that, depending on what they do. Is Miles Turner, and this is coming from Miles Turner, Stan? I can. But tell if it's essentially just Miles Turner, you love Miles Turner. If it, yes, but if it's Turner for Russell straight up, is that an even trade? I still feel like Golden State would probably need a little bit more. I think Are you giving up a pick in that deal if you're Indy? Yeah, I think so. You would. Yeah. Okay, and, then, and I think that's. That's fair. I would like it. And then you get Willie Colley Stein back. He only makes two million. See what you can do there. Something easy like that. I, I think or Marquise Chris, who's making like one million, just throw him into the rotation. Or Mari Spellman, who's been really good for them this year. Um I don't know. I think there are options, but I think that's my favorite. Like can you imagine the East closing with Brogdon, Russell, and Oladipo on the wing? And then Sabonis banging inside? That'd be a pain. Yeah, that would be Yep. And could you even imagine next year, though, having Draymond Green and Miles Turner both on the floor defensively yeah. for Golden State with Clay, too? I like this. I think this is the deal. We figured it out. Miles Turner for D'Angelo Russell. That's the, that's, the tr- that's the framework of the trade, the very loose framework of it. I just don't. I'm wondering if Indy would look at that as saying, hey, oh, yeah, we'd give up a pick or we'd give up Aaron Holiday or something in that deal. Yeah, you should. I think you should. I'm just wondering if they would look at it that way. That's the only thing I'm asking. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the three-headed monster of... Because they do so many different things. Like, Brogdon, Russell, and Oladipo are all very, very different players. Brogdon would probably welcome playing off the ball more, too. Yeah. He'd have a lot more easy cuts inside. Russell would be able to find him. Not as much of a stress over usage for Victor Oladipo when he comes back. We really need to do is expand this to make it a three-team trade, <laughs> so that Golden State is getting Turner and Covington, oh. and then Indiana is sending something to Minnesota to make it worthwhile for them. Mm. Rocco seems like he's going to get moved. Yeah, I would. He has two years left on his deal, though. That's a if I think it's going to take a pick and a young player to get him if they do move him. He's really good. I it does seem like he's going to get moved. It just I'm sure Daryl Morey calls. Rosas every day and just like hey um what is it gonna take to get Rogan? the rockets have nothing to give no, them but he's still gonna keep trying every day right he's like are you sure you don't want clint capella are you sure you don't want daniel <laughs> house ben mackamore yeah. is only shooting threes and shooting them really well do you want ben mackamore yeah the the, the houston's uh asset chest is barren basically it's not good all right, Dan. Well, this has been great. I'm glad we were able to do this today. Is uh, there anything that uh, we should check out from you this week on the on the interweb? Uh, not this week, but I've been working on a huge project for the past couple weeks. Um, looking at it's just going to be sort of a the defining moment, basically, for every team of the past decade. And I've spoken with people that cover uh, each and every team for it, so that'll be dropping. 
I think just before Christmas or right after Christmas, that would be something to watch out for. All right. Watch out for that. I'm excited for it. Um, Dan, always a pleasure, sir. Happy holidays, and I will talk to you soon. You as well, Chase. Thank you for having me as always. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.